through 16 tonight. Uh, as you turn there, we'll open in prayer. Uh, Father, thank you, Lord, for being a God who's there for us always. Lord, thank you for the trials that we experience in our life. You get our attention. You draw us back to you uh, from where our thoughts, our minds, our attention should not be. Lord, I thank you tonight that you work in difficulties. Lord, I thank you tonight that you work through your words. They have power. They're quick. They're powerful. They're alive. Lord, thank you for our Bible tonight, uh, for its accuracy, for its sufficiency. Lord, for its power, which, of course, is your power. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who indwells us uh, and who works in our hearts and our minds through your words. Lord, we pray that would be the case tonight, that you would work through your words in, in our minds and our hearts. Lord, I pray tonight that you'd encourage us tonight through your words. Father, we love you tonight. I thank you. I pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so as we turn back to 1 Kings tonight, you know we're, we're up in the north. Uh, we'll be up north in Israel for a number of chapters. And, um, you know, if you're not careful as we're up in the north, Rich, it, it can get a little, um, what might the word be? Discouraging, perhaps. Because back in the north, there were, how many of the kings were good in the north? None. North none, right? So, yeah, if, if you're not careful, as we're studying through the, uh, the lives, the, the reign of, of these kings, uh, you get discouraged. Uh, Lord, help us to not be discouraged, but to uh, observe the sin, the error, uh, the disobedience of these kings, uh, to take this as uh, lessons that you've captured for us and to stand guard uh, against the same sin. Uh, if, if you observe brothers or sisters in the Lord, fellow church members, uh, learning from the sinful error of these wicked kings, if, if you see that God has used this uh, in someone's life around you and that they're now standing guard against the same sinful decisions, the same sinful errors, uh, and, and getting some victory over some things in their life, not falling into things today that they might have fallen into in the past. Would that be encouraging or discouraging? That'd be encouraging, right? So uh, my prayer as we continue to study through the, the wicked kings of the north uh, in these passages, particularly if we get into the life of um, uh, Ahab uh, and Jezebel and uh, all, all of their wickedness, I pray the Lord will teach us, he'll instruct us, he'll remind us to stand guard against some of the same things, at least principles, um, and that as, as we learn to do that, as we're reminded to do that, and we ask God to help us do that, uh, and there's, there's more obedience in our lives, I want you to be encouraged, I want you to please I encourage you to be encouraged uh, by that. So, I actually want to begin tonight, we left off in chapter 16 and verse 28. I want to look at the balance of chapter 16 fairly quickly tonight and then jump right into chapter uh, 17. So this is uh, the end uh, of the reign and the life of Omri, uh, wicked king Omri. And then we see Ahab his son, the reign of Ahab his son. You know Ahab's wicked. We'll see uh, his reign here from the end of chapter 16 
uh, all the way down through uh, the end of chapter 22. So this is a significant portion of, of the book. Lord gives a, a great deal of space to this king and uh, the prophets who deal with him. And so uh, we understand this is important. This is important. Lord, help us to give our attention uh, to you tonight. So chapter 16, 1 Kings chapter 16, beginning uh, in verse 28. So Omri slept with his fathers. He died uh, and was buried. Be reminded that's the biblical method of, of dealing with the deceased person. Uh, burned, not uh, buried, not burned. Uh, Ahab, his son, reigned in his stead. So as we've seen normally, not always, but, but normally, uh, the rule will pass from, from a king to to a son, and sure enough, uh, Omri's son Ahab uh, begins to reign here. And you know a lot about Ahab already. We'll be reminded of some things uh, along the way here. Uh, look at the next verse. Um, and in the 30th and 8th year of Asa, king of Judah, so you remember uh, the Lord uses this uh, chronology, north versus south, to kind of help us keep it all together. Uh, 30th, 38th year of Asaph, king of Judah, Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel uh, in Samaria. This is the place that's been set up as sort of the, the capital of Israel, uh, 20 and 2 years. So Ahab's reign is, uh, is relatively long. Verse 30, Ahab, the son of Omri, see the rest of the verse here. No surprises here if you know anything about Ahab. Uh, he did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. So uh, as, as wicked as the kings that have preceded him have been, you know Ahab is, is that much more wicked. And he's wicked in the sight of whom, Gary? The Lord. It's, it's the Lord who defines objective standards. This is obedience, this is disobedience. This is wicked, this is righteous. This is evil, this is holy. God establishes the standards and calls us to the standard uh, that he establishes. Look at verse 31. It came to pass uh, as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, uh, the son of Nabat. So um, he doesn't seem, Brother Ray, to uh, give much consideration, stock, or weight to the importance or consequences of his wickedness. Uh, it's a light thing to him. You see people in the world acting uh, very wickedly, and, and we marvel at them sometimes because it seems like they, they just don't care at all. If, if they do care, they've just chosen to, uh, to try to push that down, to push the conviction down. Uh, they treat their wickedness like it's a light thing, like, like it's nothing, no, no thing. And uh, we see, sure enough, um, Ahab uh, is doing the same thing. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to never think that sin is a light thing or a, a mild thing or an inconsequential thing in your eyes. The Lord Jesus Christ was sent to the cross, uh, experienced all the suffering that uh, Oliver, you could tell us about the suffering at the cross, because I know you heard three lessons from Brother Jeff Skorupski about everything Christ experienced, all, all that he suffered up to the cross uh, and upon the cross le leading up to his burial. Uh, he suffered all of that because sin has great consequences. It's not a light thing. Lord, help us to stand guard against viewing sin uh, as a light thing in, in our eyes, in, in our minds, in our, in our hearts. 
uh, for Ahab's sin was a light thing, no, nothing of any great consequence. Uh, and so he, he just begins to double down and double down and triple down on, on his sin. Uh, middle of verse 31, he took to wife Jezebel. Remember her? Good queen, wicked king. Queen, wicked, wicked, wicked. Uh, she's the daughter of Ethbaal, or Ethbal, Ethbaal, uh, king of the Zidodians, and went, uh, he went and served Baal uh, and worshipped him. So um, um, the Zidonians, uh, Z these would be the people of Zidon. Uh, in the New Testament, this place is Sidon, S-I-D-O-N. And usually it's associated with another area kind of up there in the north to the west on the Mediterranean coast. It's blank and, and Sidon that you would hear Tyre and Sidon in the New Testament, right? Lord Jesus Christ mentioned uh, them as, as you know, wicked places. And, and sure enough, they, they were historic. This would be ancient Phoenicia. Uh, this is uh, a center of Baal worship, uh, false worship, idolatry. Uh, this is a sort of a capital of wickedness uh, in, in that part of the world. Uh, the people were pagan idolaters, and, and most certainly Jezebel was one of them. Uh, did a Jewish king of Israel have any business whatsoever marrying a pagan uh, woman of Zidon? Rich, you're saying no. Why? Yeah, when the people went in the land, the Lord said, don't, don't marry them. Don't, don't, take, don't take daughters to your sons. Don't take sons to your daughters. Well, God, God commanded that they not do that. And certainly that's a principle that was still in effect. The Lord was concerned that uh, if his people took spouses from uh, these wicked people, the Canaanites were, were the first, right? Uh, that their false, they get mixed up in their false religion. The spouse would bring in idolatry. Uh, it's, it's, it just naturally seems to be much easier to take up error than to encourage someone else to put off error and to take up the truth. It's much easier uh, for someone to fall into error than for someone else to put off the error uh, and to put on truth. You see this over and over again, uh, even in our lives today. Uh, do we have some New Testament scripture that uh, where the Lord commands us uh, in, during this present church age to uh, take care to, to not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Uh, that, that's, that's a New Testament thing too, right? Make a note, uh, 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 14, right? 2 Corinthians 6 would be a sort of a hallmark, marquee place to, to see this principle. Uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, uh, the Lord commands uh, through Paul as he's writing to the church at Corinth, he says, uh, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? Uh, be not unequally yoked. Uh, don't be yoked together. Don't be yoked together with someone who does not share your faith. A Christian should not marry someone uh, who's not a Christian. Sometimes people say, oh, it's okay because I will lead them to the Lord uh, eventually. Well, Lord says, no, don't do that. You don't know that. Don't do that. Uh, we're, we're, of course, uh, called to 
apply this same principle really in all spheres of our life. Don't be unequally yoked together with um, business partners, for example, who uh, do not share our faith. And, and it could be applied in, in any sphere of our life. Um, much more could be said, but we know this was a, a command that applied to God's people as they went into the land. Uh, it was a principle that remained in effect then, uh, and the Lord has reiterated this for us, those of us living uh, in this present church age as well. Um, so we see here the effect, and this is exactly what the Lord uh, was warning about. He, uh, he marries Je Jezebel of, of the Zidonians in the very next phrase, the end of verse 31. He marries her, uh, and sure enough, the very next phrase, he went and served Baal uh, and worshipped him. And then the next several verses just deal with, with his service to Baal. Who's Baal? Who is that? Gary said the devil, he, he's an idol, uh, certainly. Um, if, if he had any power at all, it was demonic. It was of Satan and, and his demons. Um, one thing that's very interesting you want to keep in mind as we complete this chapter and, and move into the next is that, sure, Baal, Baal is a, he's an idol. He's, he's a false god. Uh, who's worshipped up in Phoenicia and Tyre and Sidon. Uh, but he was worshipped, he was recognized and worshipped by many uh, as the god of storms uh, or the god who controlled the weather and specifically rain. Now keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Baal was viewed by many as their, their god, their idol, who controlled storms, uh, perhaps the weather more generally and, and specifically uh, rain. It's going to factor in here along the way, and, and you probably uh, remember that. Um, Ahab takes up the worship of Baal. He served him uh, and worshiped him. Uh, is that a big deal, Zach? Or is that just kind of a light thing? Why is it a big deal, mister? It's going to have consequences. It's going to destroy his life spiritually as well as those who he reigns over. Um, and we also know God has specifically commanded that the, his people not do this, right? It seems like there's a command in this regard. Uh, uh, Exodus 20 and verse 3, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Don't make a god of yourself. Uh, don't, don't, don't have other gods. Doesn't make any sense, Gary, because there are no other gods, right? You can make up fake gods uh, like Baal if you want to. Uh, Deuteronomy 5.7, the Lord reiterates that. Remember, Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. That's the, the idea the word has. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Uh, Deuteronomy 6.14, uh, ye shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you. Lord knew as the people went into the land that there, there's false worship there, and false worship would continue to ring them uh, around the land as, as they went in. Give you one more cross reference. Uh, make a note of this one, please. Joshua uh, 24 and verse 20. We'll be making reference to Joshua uh, as we continue. Uh, Joshua 24, 20, if ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you. After that, he hath done you good. Uh, over and over and over again, people are warned not to take up the worship of false gods. And, and then Joshua 
Lord uses Joshua to proclaim consequences uh, if they would do that. Um, want you to keep in mind also, we'll see this uh, shortly, uh, one of the consequences that the Lord warned the people of in the Old Testament at least twice, we'll look at two times, uh, I think we'll look at two times here tonight, at least twice the Lord warned the people if they took up idolatry, if they started to worship false gods, uh, that he would punish them, uh, he would correct them in very specific ways, including specifically withholding rain. Uh, Baal's the god of what? Okay, st storm, rain, weather, storms, rain. Yeah, but keep that in mind. We'll, we'll see this uh, in a moment. Uh, see uh, Ahab's wicked worship of Baal. Verse 32, he reared up an altar for Baal. He didn't just sort of worship casually or, or tolerate Jezebel's worship of Baal. Uh, he's actively promoting and enabling the people to worship Baal. He reared up an altar for Baal uh, in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. He marries Jezebel. Immediately, he's worshiping Baal, uh, and he establishes his capital in Samaria uh, as a local center of idolatrous worship. Uh, should he have married Jezebel? No. No, he should have obeyed the Lord. And by the way, when he married Jezebel, uh, let's say he didn't understand the, the importance or depth of her false worship. What should he have done after he married her? Uh, he married her and he, and he, he un comes to understand uh, that, that she's an adulterer, uh, idolater. There we go, idolater. Uh, what, Rich, what should he have done at that point? What, what, what could he have done? Yeah, I mean, some would say you should divorce her, but the Lord hates divorce. We, we, we know that. That's true. Um, did he have to take up her system of false worship? He could have refused to do that, right? He couldn't necessarily stop her. Have you noticed you can't control people? You notice that? You ever want to? Sometimes it would be great if we could just control people, Gary. Like if God gave us a remote control, we control people. The Lord doesn't do that, right? He doesn't let us do that either. So he, he couldn't have... Could have prevented her from worshiping Baal, but he certainly could have chosen to have no part in it himself. And that, brother Ray, that should have been, uh, could have been, and should have been his choice. He, he could have prayed. Rich used the word repent. I think he could have prayed. Said, "Lord, boy, I, I know I've disobeyed you, and I'm going to suffer the consequence here. But but give me strength. Give me strength to not take up uh, this false worship." He certainly could have done that. Uh, I, I would assume he, he wants to please his wife, and so he's taken up her false worship. Uh, verse 33, and Ahab made a grove, another place for worship is probably the idea. That word is a little bit difficult. Uh, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger. Remember, the Lord has a righteous anger, a wrath at sin. Uh, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger uh, than to all the kings of Israel that were before him. Wow, he's in trouble. Uh, he's in trouble. There's a, there's a quick little uh, side uh, account here. It's sort of a break in the 
the story regarding um, Ahab and then Elijah, who the Lord calls to deal with Ahab. Uh, verse 34, it, it's, it's just a short little account here, but the, the Lord put it here, uh, and it is certainly interesting and important. I want to make sure we don't, we don't skip it. Uh, here in verse 34, we meet this man, uh, Hiel, or Hiel or Hillel. Um, in his days uh, did Hiel, uh, the Bethelite, uh, man of Bethel, build Jericho. Uh, what do you know about Jericho? Josiah, you know anything about Jericho? Remember anything? Oliver, remember anything? The walls came down, right? They marched around it. God said, you march around it. He'll bring the walls down. Blow a trumpet. He'll bring the walls. Sure enough, the walls, uh, the walls came down. Um, in uh, Joshua 6, um, Joshua, well, the Lord through Joshua, uh, pronounced a curse on anyone who would rebuild uh, Jericho. The Lord brought it down, pagan place, uh, consequence for their sins there. Lord used his people faithfully as they marched around, brought it down, uh, dealt with that, this wicked place. Uh, and, and again, the Lord through Joshua pronounced a curse. Anyone who would rebuild uh, that city would suffer in a very specific way. Uh, his, he would lose his oldest son uh, and his youngest son. Uh, he would suffer very specific consequences. That's Joshua 6. I think I said verse 24, it's, it's 26, Joshua 6, 26. So that's a, a curse that was pronounced, but it, it becomes a sort of a curse mixed with a prophecy because here, uh, roughly 500 years later, this man uh, ignores what the Lord has commanded through Joshua, and he takes up the rebuilding of Jericho. Uh, almost certainly with Ahab's uh, knowledge and approval. Uh, why, why would that be? Why would, why would this man and um, Ahab, what, what would be the, the motivator in their hearts, do you suppose, uh, to rebuild this place after 500 years, uh, despite the fact that the Lord has pronounced a curse and a consequence for anyone who would rebuild the city. Why might they do that? Why might they do that? What would be going on in their hearts, do you think? They're in open rebellion against the Lord, aren't they? It's, it's open rebellion against the Lord. Uh, they're worshiping a false god openly, and they're, they're all in on that. Um, and, you know, Gary, maybe it's they're not thinking about this, but, but these are men who would know the words of God. Ah Ahab certainly would know the words of God. Um, yeah, I think that you'd have to say this is open. What's at the root of rebellion? Pride. This is open, prideful rebellion against the Lord. God, we know what you said, but you know what? We don't care. And you know what, if, if, if you're something, if you're anything, do something about it. I could just, you, you could just imagine their hearts. Maybe they don't quite form those thoughts against the Lord, but that would be kind of like the stuff that's in their heart, right, Brother Ray? Uh, you know, Lord, Jehovah, uh, you know, we, we, we got this bail thing we're doing now. If, if you, you're going to do anything about this, go, ahead, go for it. We, we're doing our thing, you do your thing. Well, the Lord does do something about it. 500 years after he pronounced the consequence, 
uh, he does something about it. Verse 34, uh, in the days, in his days did uh, Hael, the Bethelite, uh, build Jericho. He laid the foundation thereof uh, in Abram, his firstborn, uh, and set up the gates thereof of his youngest son, uh, Sagub. He set up the gates thereof in his youngest son, uh, Sagub. Now, that, that language is a little bit different than what we might be accustomed to or what, might be, uh, ex what we might expect, but uh, the language is understood to, to mean that he lost those two sons. Uh, he, they, they died. He, he lost them in the course of, of rebuilding uh, this place, um, Jericho. Uh, Joshua 6.26 um, says this, Joshua adjured them at the time saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth this city Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest son shall he set up the gates thereof. The language is understood to mean his sons would die uh, as a consequence if he did that. And then verse 34 in our passage tonight records that is exactly what happened. 500 years, roughly 500 years after the Lord pronounced that consequence for disobeying him. What, what do you take from that, guys? What, what do you take from that? What is it? Don't disobey the Lord, Brother Gary says. Don't, don't do that. Uh, don't do that. If, if God says there's going to be consequences, uh, but, you know, 100 years went by. Well, no one's, we don't have any record of anyone trying to build it before. You know, some of the, oh, that was 500 years ago that God said there will be a consequence. We get away with it now. What this man find out? No, you can't. Just because God said it 500 years ago or 5,000 years ago, he meant it then and probably means it now. Uh, has God said that there will be a consequence of sin uh, to anyone that, that does not come to Christ for forgiveness of sin? Uh, can we see in, in uh, the Gospels uh, that were penned down roughly 2,000 years ago? That'd be four times this 500 that we see here. Uh, can you go back to the Gospels and see there's a consequence for not coming to Christ and placing your faith in him? Is there a consequence for that? That consequence is hell. That consequence was penned down five, not 500, not 1,000, not 2,000 years ago. You think God still intends to enforce that consequence? I think he does. I think he does. Uh, Mr. Hiel or Hillel, he came to understand that just because time went by, God is a God of his word. He's a God of his word. Let's march right into chapter 17. Uh, let's, let's march right straight into chapter 17. We meet here uh, Elijah the prophet. Does he sound familiar? Elijah the prophet? Uh, look at his name real fast. Chapter 17, verse 1. Uh, Elijah. Zach, help me out. What do you see there? Elijah. Any thoughts on that? So L would be God. Jah is Jehovah. Uh, the pronouns get stuck on the end. That I pronoun there is uh, like my, me or my. So it would be my God, Jehovah, or sometimes they turn around and make it Jehovah is my God. That's a good name. Elijah be, be a good name. Uh, it's the name that says Jehovah, the Lord, is my God. Good name. Uh, 
First Kings 17, verse 1, if you're just jumping in with us now. First Kings 17, verse 1. Elijah, uh, the Tishbite. We don't know very much about Tishbe. Um, it's, it's of or in Gilead. That's about all we could say. We don't really know too much more. That's okay. The Lord hasn't seen fit to reveal more. Uh, what's more important is the man that God has chosen uh, and the message that God has given him. Uh, Elijah, uh, the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, God's man, God's message to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel liveth whom before whom I stand, there shall be, let me try that again, there shall not be, read the next three words with me, please, do nor reign uh, these years, but according to my word. Uh, he's the Lord's spokesman delivering the Lord's message. He's not going to reign uh, these years until the Lord has me to pronounce that it's time for it to reign again. Uh, you may recall in, in James 5, James 5, 17, uh, James records, calls him Elias, be sort of the Greek form of the Hebrew name, uh, did not reign for three and a half years. By the way, that's a long time. Uh, you know, we got concerned with it didn't rain for about a month here, and the grass is all brown and there's fires, and you know, that's a month. Three and a half years is, is a long time. There would be great consequences. Uh, those of us that grew up in the country in the middle of farmers' fields know there would be great consequences uh, for this. Um, why is the Lord pronouncing this through Elijah? What's this about? What's this about, sir? Do you think he might be displeased about the whole Baal thing? Yeah, I think so. Uh, the people are openly rebelling against the Lord, openly, blatantly disobeying uh, his commands. Um, I mentioned, and, and let's just look quickly. We won't go too much further here, uh, but, but turn back to Leviticus 26. Go, go there quickly, please. Uh, I mentioned that um, twice, at least twice in the Old Testament, the Lord warned the people if they took up idolatry, there would be consequences. He said, don't do that. And then at least twice he says there will be consequences. And one of the specific consequences would be that he withhold the rain. You need water to be, stay alive. You need water for crops. You need water for all kinds of purposes. Uh, Leviticus 26, 18. We're going to look at two places very quickly. Uh, Le Leviticus 26, 18. And if ye uh, will not yet... Uh, for all this, hearken unto me. The passage is dealing with idolatry. Then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. Uh, and I will break the, what are the next four words? Pride of your power. The Lord recognizes that idolatry is rooted in pride. And then he uses this poetic language. He says, and I will make your heaven as, so like or as is poetic language. It's a simile, uh, as iron and your earth as brass. Now, uh, if the sky became uh, like an iron, what, how would you describe that? An iron is what? It's, it's solid, it's, it's heavy, it's solid. Uh, sounds like this might be a poetic description of the skies 
not yielding liquid or, or moisture, uh, but rather becoming solid. This is, this is poetic language the Lord is using. Uh, and if we're not sure about that, you just keep reading verse 20. Your strength shall be spent. Uh, your land shall not yield her increase, neither shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. That's because there's no rain. The sky, the first heaven, uh, will become uh, as iron, like a solid thing, not, not giving forth a uh, liquid thing. Uh, turn to Deuteronomy 11. Go there. We'll just look at one more example of this specific warning the Lord has given. Deuteronomy 11. Deuteronomy, again, the idea of the word, the second giving of the law, uh, repeats many of the things that are seen uh, before. Um, so a consequence, again, if the people would stray into idolatry. Take heed, sorry, Deuteronomy 11, 16, verse 16. Uh, take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived, and ye turn aside and serve other gods. Don't do that. Guard your heart against that. Don't worship them. Verse 17, then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you. He shut up the heaven that there be no rain. Here's the consequence of that, that the land yield not her fruit, lest ye perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord giveth you. The uh, Lord has warned specifically that he would correct them by withholding rain and everything that goes along with the rain. Um, come back to 1 Kings, but, but go, to, go to verse, no, chapter 8 very quickly, please. 1 Kings chapter 8. Um, this is where we, not too long ago, saw Solomon dedicating the temple, the temple that he built. And in chapter 8 is this wonderful prayer that he prayed at the dedication of the temple. And um, here in verse 35, 1 Kings 8, verse 35, he's praying, When heaven is shut up and there is no rain, because they have sinned against thee. So he's anticipating a time when the Lord would bring forth the consequences that he described in Leviticus 26 or Deuteronomy 11. He knows that that's in the Bible, in his Bible. And so he's praying about that. Lord, I, you know, I, I can imagine there'll be a time when the people will fall into idolatry and that you will turn off the rain as a consequence for their sin. He goes on here in verse 35 and says, if they pray toward this place and confess thy name and turn from their sin when thou afflictest them, he goes on, he, he prays, Lord, Lord, withdraw the consequence. If they would turn back to you in, in this place, withdraw the consequences, the basic idea. Solomon understood uh, the consequence for the sin of idolatry, and uh, he prayed that. So we've seen the Lord command no other gods. And at least twice, there's, the Lord says, if you disobey, there will be consequences. And Solomon acknowledged that in his prayer and said, but Lord, if they'll turn back to you, withdraw the consequence. If they'll turn back to you, if they'll repent, you withdraw the consequence, restore the rain, restore the blessing. That same principle is seen in our lives today, right? If, if we disobey, we may experience the chastening of God, and that may continue until we repent, 
and then find the Lord's blessings restored. Sometimes there's practical consequences that continue, but his blessings in general uh, are restored. Okay, uh, come back to our passage. We'll go just a little bit further here. We'll go just slightly further. Chapter 17, 1 Kings 17, uh, verse 2, the Lord sends Elijah eastward. The word of the Lord came unto him, saying, uh, Get thee hence, turn thee eastward, and hide thyself, there we go, uh, by the brook Kareth, that is before Jordan, uh, to the east, uh, east to the Jordan River Valley. He was all the way up in the northwest, and he's to go east and south to the Jordan River Valley. The brook Kareth, evidently, it would be a tributary uh, to the Jordan, so he's kind of directing him east and probably a little bit south. Verse 4, he says, It shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook. There'll be water for you there for a time at least. And then he says this, he says, I have commanded, read the rest of the verse with me, please. I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Anybody here ever been fed by, by what are ravens? They're birds. We have this, these hawks out here. They're scary. They're not looking to feed us. They're looking to carry something else off that they could eat. They're, they're all around here this, this year, which is really interesting. Um, None of us have ever been fed by ravens. Brother, have you? you? You never have. I think you would have told me if, if you had by now. Um, so the Lord says, you go to the brook Kareth. There'll be water there for a time. Don't worry about food because, oh, ravens will bring you food. Um, what would you have thought about that? Rich, what would you have thought about that? About ravens? Yeah. <laughs> you wonder about that, right? You might be tempted to wonder about that. You say, well, the brook Kareth, it's, maybe there's water there, fine. But Lord, I don't know about ravens bringing me food. Uh, you've never experienced this before, probably. They, they could be big crows, yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, has the Lord ever been able to feed his people supernaturally in the wilderness before? Had he, had he been able, he had been able to do that. And is it likely that Elijah the prophet would have known that? Yeah, sure. He's Elijah. The, he, almost certainly he would have known that the Lord has been able to feed people very supernaturally, manna, uh, in the wilderness before. And so he could look back on that and say, well, okay, this, God has proven that he is able to feed people supernaturally. He fed a lot of people for, for a period of time, and I'm just one guy, so maybe, maybe God can do this for me. Uh, please, again, don't, don't lose sight of that same principle being available to us tonight. You see in Scripture what God has been able to do for people in the past. Uh, you let that be a great encouragement, please, that God is able to do for us as well. Uh, God was able to provide for his people in the wilderness. We'll see in a moment God was able to provide for Elijah in the wilderness in the most supernatural, most unexpected way. He might have been tempted to worry about that, Rich, but he, he evidently just trusted. Why would I say that? Well, verse 5 says, So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord. He went and dwelt by the brook Kareth, uh, that is, before Jordan. I uh, don't think he would have done that unless he said, Yeah, my God, the Lord is able to do this. 
He's done it before. I think I can trust him. I think I can walk in faith uh, east and south to the brook Kareth and trust that God is able to send ravens to feed me. And I don't know, if, Brother uh, Art, if God will send ravens today necessarily, supernaturally, but I know God can meet our needs today, sometimes very supernaturally. Uh, we're going to pray in a few minutes, and we'll, we'll pray for our friend Jeff Skorupski, who had a very major cancer surgery this week in his chest. And uh, yesterday, Ray, we, we were able to see him, and he looked like nothing at all had happened to him. He's, he's sitting there looking as well as he did at camp uh, last week, telling us that they were sending him home last night the day after this major surgery. He has no pain, took no pain medication other than Tylenol and, and doing just, you know, fine, fine. How's that possible? Lord, it's miraculous. There's no other explanation. The Lord has miraculously worked, gave him a Christian surgeon, by the way, uh, and robotic surgery. I don't think the robot is a believer, but the, <laughs> the surgeon is. Um, and, and just miraculously worked in his life as, as he did several years back for the first surgery. Our God is able to do whatever he determines to do, including sending ravens to feed a man in, in the wilderness. He's able to do that. Uh, he was able to do it in Elijah's day. He's able to do it today. He can provide for us, however, as he promised to meet our needs. Is he able to meet our needs? Yes, yes, yes. Verse 6, uh, the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning uh, and bread and flesh in the evening, not just once a day, but twice a day. Uh, and he drank of the brook. Now, verse 7, it came to pass after a while uh, that the brook dried up. Why would it dry up? Didn't rain, right? God said through Elijah, it's not going to rain. It didn't rain for three and a half years. Sure enough, uh, this tributary to the Jordan is going to dry up eventually uh, because there had been no rain in the land. That, that's what it says. So imagine you're Elijah now. God sent you to this place. You've been drinking from the river. The ravens have been feeding you twice a day. Um, but now all of a sudden the brook dries up. What are you thinking now, Zach? <laughs> what do I do now? What do I do now, Lord? Uh, not too sure about this, God. Um, why, why would the Lord dry up the brook? Why would he do that? He's going to do something else. He's going to do something else. Um, this might be a test. Um, it, it might be um, a testimony of his command or his control uh, of the rain. You know, there's, there's this guy, Baal, who says he controls the rain, uh, but the Lord really does. He said it would not rain for some years, and some time has gone by. It's not rained. The brook is dried up. Well, that's, that's proof that it hasn't rained uh, anywhere in the vicinity. Um, perhaps just because the Lord wants to move him on, and, and we do see the Lord using this trial of no water, no fresh water here, uh, to move him on. Now, you know, even if you're Elijah, you, you, you might be tempted to look at it this way. Pat, I, I might be tempted to look at it this way. You know, God sent me here and said, there'll be water here and these birds will bring me food, which would be hard to believe, but sure enough, they did it. Uh, and I obeyed the Lord and now there's no water. Thanks, God. 
right? God, I'm, I'm doing what you asked me to do. I'm where you told me to go, but there's no water, right? Mike, thanks, thanks a lot, God. We get frustrated or even angry at God if we're not careful. Um, because what? Because why? Zach, any thoughts? Pride. Do you want to say more about that? We expect him to do something that's not working out our way. Gary, you had another thought? Like a faith. Yeah, even though God just provided supernaturally, guided me to the water where the birds would come bring me food, now the first sign of trouble, we, we, our faith wobbles. Our faith wobbles. And we say, oh, I've got a problem now. We get anxious. We get angry. quickly forgetting that the same Lord who sent us like Elijah to a place of supernatural provision uh, might just want to move us in faith to another place of his supernatural provision. Uh, maybe he's been preparing Elijah for some use in another place. And certainly the same God who has provided supernaturally can keep providing supernaturally. And sure enough, that's what we see here. Verse 8, the word of the Lord came unto him saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath. You're going somewhere else now, mister. Uh, by the way, Elijah has not been unfaithful or prideful. He, we, don't, we don't see that here anywhere. He, he, he obeyed, God provided, and the word of the Lord came to him again and says, you're going to go again? And he says, great, okay, God. He's just trusting. He's just trusting the Lord. No doubt he's allowed uh, scripture to uh, encourage his faith. No doubt he's allowed what he personally has experienced to encourage his faith. So when God moves him again, he just says, okay, sure enough, God, you're, you're trustworthy. You're my provider. He has not become faithless or angry or frustrated. You're able to say, we can too. Arise, verse 9, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon. That's the same place that Jezebel was from. Center of Baal worship. That's interesting. And dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. He arose and went to Zarephath, verse 10. When he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. How did he know this was the woman? How did he know this is the woman? God must have told him. He's Elijah the prophet. God has told him where to go and what will happen. So I'm going to say the Lord told him. He saw this woman, and the Lord told him, That's the woman. It's not recorded. But evidently, God is revealing what needs to be revealed as it needs to be revealed. We've seen other examples of this in Scripture at Wells. Um, verse 11, as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. She said, verse 12, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but just a handful of meal in a barrel in a little oil in a cruise, just a little tiny bit of food. 
And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. They have just the tiniest little bit of food left. Why is that? Why don't they have more grain? There's been no rain. They're down to what's left, and there's no hope. As far as they know, there's no hope of getting any more. Imagine the inflation that they must have experienced uh, as the grain became more and more scarce. Probably far worse than what we're experiencing today. She knows that this is it. And it's short of some kind of miracle. This is it. They're down to the last little bit. They're gonna, she's going to make the last little cake for herself and her son, she's going to eat it, and then she expects to die, because there's no more. That's it. She says the Lord is your God, thy God. She thinks that she's going to eat the last bit of food and then die. What's her spiritual condition where Elijah meets her at this place? What, what's her spiritual condition, Zach? Sounds like she's lost. It's not, the Lord's not her God. She, it, she says, your God, and I'm going to die. There's no faith. No faith. Elijah said in her, verse 13, fear not. Go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first and bring it unto me. Uh, and after, after, after that, make for thee and for thy son. Is he crazy? <laughs> is he uh, is he greedy? Is, is, is he thinking, oh, I'll, I'll eat that and live a little longer. You'll die, but I'll live. Is that what he's thinking? I don't think that's what he's thinking. I don't think that's what he's thinking at all. What does he say to her? Look at verse 14. For thus the Lord God of Israel, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste. It will not be used up. Neither shall the cruise of oil fail. It'll not be used up. She says, hey, got this much left and this much left, and that's it. It will not be used up until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. That little bit would be stretched out somehow until the Lord sends rain again, and the grain grows again and is harvested and ready to buy and eat again. How's that going to be, Rich? If that's going to happen, it would have to be what? That'd be a great miracle. So Elijah says, listen, there's a great miracle that God can do here. A great miracle. Verse 15, she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. Now what does that tell you, Zach, about her, her condition? The Lord was your God, and I'm about to die, but you're telling me that the Lord can extend this food, evidently, miraculously, supernaturally. So she went to make him some food before her and her son. You said that points to a growing, the crops may not be growing, but her faith is growing, right? You were going to say something else. Faith that resulted in obedience. Now, there's a change of mind that produced a change of direction. I have an R word for that. Verse 15 continues, she and, and he and her house did eat, what does it say? Verse 15, she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. She obeyed what the Lord commanded through Elijah. And then immediately, the ver, the ver, not even a new verse. And she and he and her house did eat what? For how long? 
many days. That's a miracle. They had just enough for one little cake, right? There was going to be like one tiny little cookie, and they were going to cut it in half and eat it and then die. Uh, but that tiny little bit lasted many days. The barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. Um, is God able to provide, no, let me say it this way, was God able to provide supernaturally for Elijah? Church, God directed him, God provided for him. By the way, what if Elijah had not obeyed the Lord? What if he didn't go to the brook Kareth where the water was and where the ravens fed him? What if he didn't obey? Would he have suffered, Zach? What would he have suffered? Hunger, the loss of God's provision for his obedience, right? You can just, that's just practical, you can see that. But he obeyed in faith, evidently, again, trusting that the same Lord who in the past had done this for his people could do it for me today. So he obeyed and God blessed him, very supernaturally. The brook dried up. God said there'd be no rain, sure enough there wasn't. He could have got very frustrated. God, what are you doing? I did what I'm supposed to do, God. But he didn't. God said, time to move on. Go here. A woman will provide for you. So he went there, trusting the same God who moved him once, move him again into the place of his provision. When he got there and saw that that woman only had this much in his flesh, he might have been tempted to what? <laughs> Give up. God dried up the brook, and sure enough, there's no food here. He dried up the water. He dried up the food. There's nothing. Could have got angry. Could have got frustrated. Could have ran off looking for food somewhere else. But he stayed right there in the center of God's will, quite literally, quite literally. He stayed exactly where God sent him and gave forth this very supernatural, very faithful message from the Lord. God's going to make it work. It'll have to be a miracle. You just do what God wants you to do, and God will do the rest. You step out in faith. Go and bake that little cake and give it to me. And God will provide for you as long as there needs to be supernatural provision. She, in faith, obeyed and did what God would have her to do. And God blessed all of them supernaturally with his provision. God's still in that business? I believe he is. I believe I see that all the time, Brother Mike. You, you step into, in faith, you step into God's will as he leads you. Today we see him leading us through his word, perhaps the prompting of the Holy Spirit, but primarily through his words. You step into his will as he leads and he blesses. Does it mean there's never any trial? No, the brook dries up sometimes. And sometimes it doesn't look like he's providing. There's only a tiny little bit to be had, but... Sure enough, if you just stay where God has you to be, he provides. He's promised to meet the needs of his people who have sought Christ and his righteousness first. 
He's promised that. By the way, that promise is not made to people who have not placed their faith in Christ. But it is made in Matthew 6 to people who have placed their faith in Christ. Has God broke his promises to you once? Believers? Never. Uh, Has there ever been a time where you thought, boy, I don't know how we're going to go on. God's going to have to do a miracle. Ever been there? Did God do a miracle? Yeah. Gary knows. And Marilyn knows. And uh, I've seen God do miracles. Um, Are little miracles any less awesome than big miracles? I don't know if I told you on Sunday or not, um, I had this terrible foot in my, no, not foot in my pain, pain in my foot. Brother Garcia saw me hobbling around on Saturday. It got very bad Saturday night. Sunday, I didn't think I'd be able to stand here and preach. But walked in the building Sunday morning, and it started to feel better. And when I walked up here from the piano, the pain was completely gone. It hasn't come back. I, is it a miracle? It seemed like it to me. Brother Ray, God can do that. He can also heal a man miraculously a day after a surgery. I know Jeff still has healing to do, but the Lord has miraculously protected him and, and done a supernatural healing in his body and protected him from pain. It's, it's extraordinary. Uh, Gary has known great miracles, great miracles. God doesn't always choose to heal miraculously but he has chosen chosen to keep his promises to us. And I believe, honestly, I believe that that almost always involves miracles. God has made promises to us, and the keeping of those promises, I could be wrong, but Gary, I think that almost always involves miracles. He's a God who can and who does miracles. Uh, He's a powerful God, and he loves us. He exercised his power uh, to our benefit for his honor and for his glory. Lord, help us to choose to see those miracles and to give you the praise, honor, and glory for it. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you tonight for the miracles that we see in your word. Lord, I pray tonight that the miracles that we see in your word would encourage us to trust you today, no doubt as Elijah the prophet did. And that, Lord, as we see you guiding and directing and meeting needs supernaturally in Scripture, I pray that it would prompt our obedience just exactly as it did for Elijah. Lord, as we take steps of faith, I, I pray you bless us as you blessed Elijah. Lord, when it appears that our steps of faith are not being honored by you or blessed, when the brook dries up or when there's just a bit of food left, Lord, help us, please, to not be frustrated or angry or faithless, but to just look to you and to trust you. Lord, when we can't, when we struggle, remind us to pray. Lord, help me to trust you. I'm struggling. Lord, meet my needs as you've promised. Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. 
Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Zachary. All right, let's stand as we turn to number 404. We'll sing The Haven of Rest, number 404. My soul in sad exile was out on life's sea, so burdened with sin and distress, till I heard a sweet voice saying, make me your choice, and I answered the haven of rest. I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest, I'll sail the wide seas no more. The tempest may sweep, or the wild stormy deep, in Jesus I'm safe evermore. I yielded myself to his tender embrace, and faith taking hold of the word. My fetters fell off, and I anchored my soul, the haven of rest is my Lord. I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. I'll sail the wide seas no more. The tempest may sweep or the walls or me deep. In Jesus I'm safe evermore. The song of my soul since the Lord made me whole has been the old story so blessed. Of Jesus who'll save, whosoever will have a home in the haven of rest. I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. I'll sail the wide seas no more. The tempest may sweep or the wild stormy deep. Jesus, I'm safe evermore and the last. Oh, come to the Savior, he patiently waits to save by his power divine. Come, anchor your soul in the haven of rest and say, my beloved is mine. I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. I'll sail the wide seas no more. And the tempest may sweep or the wild stormy deep in jesus i'm safe evermore amen you may be seated okay i'll make some prayer assignments here quickly so that we can